Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. You see, but our natural tendency is to be selfish. Your tendency is to be selfish. That's the sinful nature still left in you. You didn't get rid of it. It's still there. It rises its ugly head and it rises its head in the church. And it shouldn't. Selfish ambition, doing my own thing, will hurt me. You say, what do you mean it's going to hurt me? If I get to the top, how's it going to hurt me? Here's how it's going to hurt you. Jesus says it's better to give than to get. As believers, we are assured that we will receive eternal life and eternal rewards in heaven. But are you still on board when Scripture also talks about the persecution that Christ followers will face on His account? Some of Jesus' own disciples got caught up in arguing over who would sit next to the Lord in eternity instead of focusing on their mission then. Don't get so comfortable with your own salvation that you neglect to reach out to others. It is our mission and responsibility to spread the word of salvation to as many people as we can, even in the face of rejection. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 36, with the conclusion of our message entitled, Looking Out for Number One. So what James and John are probably trying to think themselves is this. We're first cousins to Jesus. Let's ask Jesus' aunt to bring the request. Maybe a little family ties will bring kind of a neat thing here in the family. They're they're trying for anything to get their request answered. Now notice something interesting. They come privately to Jesus. So Jesus has walked into this area. We don't know what it was like, but maybe there was a well here and Jesus stopped to get a drink and the other disciple just sat around on the outside and laid down a little bit. And over here in the corner, there's James and John and they're saying to mom, 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 now's the time. And they're pushing, you can see him pushing mom, pushing mom. And here she comes to Jesus. So let's see what she says. Jesus responds back in verse 36, chapter 10. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, Well, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Interesting to me that the disciples evidently have Alzheimer's. Just a chapter or two before, a few days before, Jesus had caught them discussing who is the greatest in the kingdom. And he said to them, What are you doing? Going to be great. You have to become small. You have to serve. The way to greatness is service. Here they come again. Evidently, they have poor hearing. They haven't listened. And it's like many times you and I. The word comes into our ear and it goes like this. Hello. Hello. Nothing registers in here. We come, we listen to the word of God, but it's just a breeze blowing through. This is what happened to the disciples. Nothing was registering. 
Now, really, what happened is this. James and John knew Jesus was going to establish a kingdom. They still didn't get it that it was really totally a kingdom of heaven. They were looking for him to establish that kingdom on earth. And in those days, you remember, they're under the authority of Rome. Anytime there was a king in those days, that position was the most important. But the next two important positions were to the right and the left. These were positions of power and honor and authority. So what the disciples, these two guys, are doing is this. They come to Jesus and they want the best seats. They're looking out for number one. They don't care anything about the other disciples. Interestingly, they don't care anything about Jesus' agenda of going to the cross. They're not thinking about that. They're thinking about number one. They're trying to compete for first place. They want to maneuver or outmaneuver anybody else because they want power, advantage. They want to dominate rather than serve. Could that be in the church today? Could that be in our life, in your life? You betcha. I see in our life today, in the churches today, we have, even in the church, young men get out of seminary and they come and they're looking for stepping stones to greatness. Small little churches they're looking for. And as you know, most maybe you don't know, probably more than 90% of the churches in America are 100 people or less. So they start out in a small little church and think, well, this isn't, this isn't worthy of me. By the way, Jesus said, never despise small beginnings. It has nothing to do with the smallness of the largeness. We think today everything is, you know, it, it's going to come back to bite us when we see we'll end up here with one bank, one car company, huge, and say, well, this is better. No, it isn't going to be better. By the way, we're going to end up with one world government. Is it going to be better? It is not going to be better, but we're going to be out of here, so don't worry about it. Now, those of you that don't accept Christ today, take your chances. You're going to be here. I'll guarantee you ahead of time, it isn't better. It isn't better. So the disciples are here, and they're seeing what we've seen in the church. People trying to maneuver the best elder, the best band, the best positions, the, the soloist that's known, the best parking spot out here. came to this church recently, and somebody said to me, how come the pastor and the staff don't have parking positions? I got outvoted. What else can I say? <laughs> No, the reason we don't have is because we're just like you. There's no reason for us to have. I just park wherever. Usually I try to park as back as far as I can so you guys can get in. You see, but our natural tendency is to be selfish. Your tendency is to be selfish. That's the sinful nature still left in you. You didn't get rid of it. It's still there. It rises its ugly head and it rises its head in the church, and it shouldn't. Selfish ambition, doing my own thing, will hurt me. You say, what do you mean it's going to hurt me? If I get to the top, how's it going to hurt me? Here's how it's going to hurt you. Jesus says it's better to give than to get. Luke 6 says this, Give and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured in your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you again. You see, the greatest advantage in the kingdom of God is giving, is serving. It's the greatest lifestyle in all the world. Some Christians will never get it. You think the greatest freedom 
is coming to church, not serving in any capacity, and being free. You're missing out on the greatest lifestyle in all the world. And being selfish, doing your own thing, being number one, will always hurt you. That is not a a rule from Mark Balmer. That's a rule from God in the kingdom. And Jesus was trying to say this to his disciples. Haven't you watched me long enough? You're jockeying for number one, and I've been telling you the whole time, don't do that. Serve. Now, when we come to Jesus Christ, this is important for you to understand, and many Christians don't get this. When you come to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you, and we then become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, when you come to Jesus Christ, you now just change ownerships. You used to serve Satan. Now you and I are to serve God. We don't just sit on the sidelines. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of whom you have been received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And what price was that? It's Jesus' blood. What price? You were bought with. What ransom with? Therefore, honor God with your body. So Paul says, your body isn't your own. If you're a Christian this morning, body isn't your own. Paul says this morning, your future is not your own. It's God's. So that's the wonderful thing. And so many of you guys are serving. It's just wonderful to watch you serve and give. And when I... When you realize what service is about, you have to understand what it means. When you drive up and you get here on time or late or whatever you get here and you find yourself into the sanctuary and you're here, do you realize that all of the services this weekend, there's absolutely, literally hundreds of people making this service available for you? Somebody's mowed the lawn, somebody's taken care of the calls a week, somebody's made the bulletin, somebody's ushered, somebody's uh, directed you into the place, somebody will clean up later, somebody's taking care of your children over there, ministering to those, somebody's practicing the band, somebody's doing the sound, somebody's doing the overheads, we're going to have tapes that they leave, and you just go from A to Z, from A to Z, hundreds, literally hundreds of people are serving so that you and I can enjoy the service. Now, the wonderful thing is, if you're serving God, you realize what a blessing it is. If you're serving God because you have to, you've missed it. You serve God because you want to. And thanks so much for all of you that are serving. Now, look down in verse 38. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with a baptism I am baptized with? So Jesus says to the disciples, You guys don't have a clue about what you're asking. Is that common with our prayers sometime? So Jesus says, can you drink the cup? What does he mean by cup? Well, the cup really meant it could be a cup of joy or a cup of death. We'll see that he's talking about the cup of death. So what Jesus really says there is this. The cup equals the circumstances of your life. Whatever life brings you, can you drink that cup? Then it's the word baptism, baptize. In the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, it meant overwhelmed by suffering. In other words, deep waters. When Jesus would come to the end of his life, he would absolutely just be baptized into this sin because the sin was yours and mine on the cross. And so he would carry the whole burdens and it would result in death. The word baptism doesn't mean they are sprinkled. Jesus would just be sprinkled with a little hardship. So Jesus says to the disciples in everyday language like you and I would say this, Are you ready to suffer for the sake of the kingdom? Look at the answer in 39. The disciples hear this, these two disciples, and they go, Oh, we can. We can? 
They didn't have a clue. Boldly, they said, we can. Why would they say we can? Because of this. They knew because of the P word, persecution, there was some coming. But here's what they're saying. If we can have seat A and seat B, it's worth a little bit of persecution is coming. No sweat. We'll take the choice seat, even if we got to fight for it a little bit. So we can. Look what Jesus, how he responds. He says to them in verse 39, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with baptism that I am baptized with. What does he mean? He says to them, You will share in my suffering. You will drink the cup of suffering and be baptized with the baptism of calamity. What was he saying? Well, here's what we know. James and John have come. James is the very first martyr of the disciples. He's killed. Did he experience the suffering? You betcha. And John is the last one to die. And through his life, you remember he's even chased to an island of Patmos to live alone. There are some historical reports that say he was boiled in oil, but overcame it and still lived. So Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, but you will find that these things come true. And look in verse 40, and then he says, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus says, I can't determine who's going to get seat A and seat B. That's not my job. It's very interesting to me to see Jesus, the Son of God, say this. If you want to have authority, you have to be under authority. So he diverts to God, his Father. Secondly, selfish ambition hurts other believers. It just doesn't hurt you, but it will hurt other believers. Look at verse 41. Now when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Put yourself there. What you're seeing, I think, is very easy. Peter was part of the threesome, remember? James, John, and Peter. So Peter probably wakes up, and he wakes up a little bit and rubs his eyes from over there, and he looks over and he sees who talking to Jesus? James and John. So he probably turns to the other nine disciples and says, Hey, what have they been talking to Jesus about over there? How come they got a private thing? What's that? You know, Peter's bold enough to say that, wouldn't you think? He's wondering what's happening. How come I'm not part of the threesome that I'm normally part of? And so when he finds out that they've asked for seat A and seat B, the power seats, the scripture says they're totally indignant. Like, what is wrong with you two guys? We just learned this lesson last week. To be great is to be a servant. Why are you asking for these seats? Are you fleshly and carnal Christians? That'd been nice if that's why they were indignant. Do you know why they were indignant? Because those guys got a shot at the seats before they did. That's what the scripture means. So Peter and the other guys are arguing, and here's what they're saying. How dare you get to step up on me? I wanted seat A. I wanted seat B. And now you've asked for it. Now what you see happening there is this. Their indignation spread from their own sinful jealousy, which we can see in the church, in our homes. They were afraid they might lose out. They wanted to get ahead of line. 
What you see happening here with selfish ambition is a key. Listen up. Satan loves to divide. Unity in the church, in the kingdom of God, is very, very important. God blesses out of unity. The early church, it says they were all together in one accord. Not a car, they were in unity. And from that unity came tremendous blessing. 3,000 people came to Jesus Christ. When Jesus gets ready to leave in John 17, he says to his church, I want you to be as one. Not robots, all with your own personality, but have the same goal in mind. So what we have now is two disciples here and ten disciples over here and they're arguing and they're mad at each other and they're jealous and as they're walking, they're going, yeah, you guys, I knew you'd be trying that. I I, I it doesn't surprise me at all. Look at what you've done there. And so they've diverted the wonderful unity that causes tremendous blessing in God's church. You see, in the church, if there isn't unity in a church, when you come in, you can smell it. And it's not a pleasant smell. If there is not unity in your home, the minute someone walks into your home, they can smell that disunity. And the very place that Satan wants to attack, unity is in your home. He wants to divide husband and wife, parents from kids. He loves to do it because from that comes destruction. I'm so glad we're in unison this morning. Now, when you come into a church, we're here. And we're just praising God because he's brought us together. Now see, this disunity comes from people focusing on their own goal, their own agenda, rather than God. There is no reason in the body of Christ for any kind of competition. Why would we want to try to compete with one another? The Bible says we're all equal. We all have differing gifts, but we're all equal. The only reason I stand up here, I've told you many times, is because I'm short. (laughs) I'm equal to you. So there's no reason for jealousy. The disciples were fighting among themselves. Jesus says to them in verse 42, you have the wrong idea. Jesus says, calls them together, and he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. So he says, in the kingdom of Satan, greatness equals looking out for number one. You're not to be like that. Then he goes on and he gives us the clue. Verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. So once again, Jesus says, in the kingdom of God, greatness is always serving others. Putting them first. Greatness is giving, not getting. Number three, selfish ambition hurts the unbeliever. Selfish ambition hurts the unbeliever. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he had one agenda. He had one ambition. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his whole agenda. He didn't have a lot of side agendas. He came to make sure, number one, that he was living with the Spirit in control, answering God, obeying God. He was trying to say to his disciples, guys, 
I've been trying to be the example for you. Give, don't get. Serve, don't try to rule. And then he's trying to say to them, if you'll do this, if you'll be servants of God, if you'll focus on yourself, here's what I want you to do. You have one agenda, and the agenda is to make disciples, to go to a world that's lost. Let me give you an example of how I think it works. Listen to this. Over here is a jungle. And in this jungle, we'll call it the jungle of sin this morning. In this jungle are men and women born into that. They're in bondage. They don't realize they're serving Satan. But they're in bondage. Their life's empty. There's no way out to freedom. And one day, with all these people here knowing that they're going to die, with no way to freedom, one day they hear the bushes move in the jungle. And out of here comes a person by the name of Jesus. And he says to them, follow me. I'm going to clear a path for you back to God. And as Jesus knocks all the stuff aside and clears this wonderful path, they come to the end of the jungle. And here's a great, wide, free opening. And there's God. And as they come there, right on the edge of the jungle, Jesus brings them there. Jesus dies. That's the gospel. And what Jesus is trying to say to his disciples is this. All these people over here in the jungle, they don't even know there's a way to God. They've been trying to go through the thickets and they can't find a way to God. And you, you are so busy with your own private agendas. You don't care about the lost people over there. You don't care that your brother's over there or your dad or your coworker, or your neighbor, or your classmate. You could care less because you're all tied up with two things. Fighting among each other, jockeying for number one position, or trying to be number one. Well, I don't have time, Pastor, to be involved in sharing the good news. I mean, I have responsibilities at home. I have kids and a job, and I'm to be a great dad. Yes, but your first responsibility is to God. Listen, every single Christian is to be a soul winner. You say, well, that's not my gift. That guy that said amen back there, I know that's his gift. It's not mine. No, it's your gift. We are to go into all the world and make disciples. Number one, as you look at the disciples this morning, is it like looking at you? Well, Pastor Margaret's. 12 o'clock, are we out of here yet? I've got things to do. Don't talk to me about the lost. What, you mean the lost mean something? Number two, have our selfish ambitions diverted us from caring about lost people? Do you care about lost people this morning? Do you remember the day you were in the jungle and someone came and said, there's a way out, and you went, there is? And they brought you out. Wow. So many of us are so far removed from that day, we've lost any zeal at all for the lost. Number three, have we slipped into comfortable Christianity? Well, come on, Pastor Mike. Man, I've been here two weeks now and, you, and you're trying to challenge me to do something. I like just coming and sitting. Well, just keep coming and sitting, but I'll keep challenging because it's the heart of God. Listen this morning. Lost people matter to God. It's the whole reason He came. Today we saw just how detrimental our selfishness can be, not just to ourselves, but to unbelievers. When we're focused on our own concerns, the needs of others get overlooked. 
as Christ followers, we're all responsible to witness to the lost, regardless of whether we consider it our gift. Instead of being comfortable and complacent about our own salvation, we need to make it our mission to spread the gospel. Pastor Mark covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review. You can listen to today's message again by logging on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Or you can also call us toll-free. The number to call is 866-779-3441 to place an order for a CD. Again, that number to call is 866-779-3441. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. That's info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Lessons for Living is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Now be sure and tune in next time as Pastor Mark continues through the Gospel of Mark, where we come to the story of a blind man, Bartimaeus, a beggar by the roadside. Jesus will take the opportunity to speak about the spiritually blind, who may hear his words but be blinded to their truth. But Jesus' words will ring true to many during his ministry, and his good news is just as relevant and exciting for us today. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right.